Luke chapter 16, verse 1 to 15. Jesus told his disciples, There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management, because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, What shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do, so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, How much do you owe my master? 3,000 litres of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 1,500. Then he asked the second, And how much do you owe? 30 tonnes of wheat, he replied. He told him, Take your bill and make it 24. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with very much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters, Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees, who loved money, heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. Thanks, Clem, for reading that. Let me pray for us as we come to look at these words uh, together. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Heavenly Father, please would you do that gracious work in us as you speak to us through your word. Would you capture our affections through the Lord Jesus so that we might love him and trust you. And we ask it in his name. Amen. Um, we're, we're at the end of our stewardship series. If you've been coming along uh, for the past few weeks, you know we've been looking at all sorts of uh, different things over the past uh, few weeks, thinking about, uh, as a church family, our gifts, our time, um, our, our homes and hospitality. Last week, how we used those things. And it occurs to me, we Thinking about our gifts in those kind of ways, we could think of this the wrong way, as if it's just somehow kind of churchy advice for doing a kind of life admin, how to, how to so organize and arrange or tweak uh, your life um, so you get the best out of it, to live your best life yet in the world. But that would be sort of to misunderstand who we are as a church. You know, the, the church is a, 
you could say it this way, is a gathering of people who've been called out from the world. And what, what do we mean by that? Because we're in it. We're, we go to work, we're involved in schools, we have friends and all sorts of things. We're very much in the world and we're meant to be relating to people in all sorts of, all sorts of ways. But at the same time, through the cross of Jesus, we have been reconciled to God and been given a living, uh, and we're now living with the hope of heaven. And God intends our hope-filled way of living, not just to fit in, uh, but to be different and provocative to the world around us. We're meant to be, in a sense, a city with, within the city, a community within the community. And the way we steward the gifts God gives in our community life is meant to if you like, shine a light out to those around us, those we're meeting with, friends with, relating to, shine a light that intrigues them about the Lord Jesus as we live differently. And today we're thinking about our money. Uh, and if you feel nervous about talking about money, remember I'm Scottish. It's, it's worse for me. I once went to Hungary and uh, met, met some people there and um, I mentioned I was Scottish, and I could see some young, some young men starting to laugh. And when I asked them why, reluctantly they told me, oh, it's just that in Hungary we, we have a word for stingy people, and it's Scottish. Um, <laughs> it's outrageous, isn't it? We're going to think about money, and we're doing that looking at this, at this parable that Clem read for us, and it's a noodly little parable, isn't it? You might have read it before. There's funny things going on in it. Jesus, at the beginning, we see speaking to his disciples. In verse 1, the story goes, there's a dishonest manager. He's been wasting his master's possession. And the master finds out, and he calls him to account. And he's going to lose his job, verse 2. His future's certain. Within a day or two, he'll be out in his ear, P45 in hand. It's, it's not being mean. He's not been treated badly. He's been dishonest. But while he's dishonest, he's certainly not daft. Verse 3. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master's taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm too ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do, so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. And verses 5 and 7, you've probably followed it as Clem read. He calls his master's debtors, and he, well, he kind of reduces their bills in a most generous fashion. And there's some debate, if you want to read the commentaries on this, as to what he's doing. Is he stealing from his master again? Uh, some think he's just cutting the interest he was responsible as the manager for setting. Uh, and some think, is he, is he just removing his own commission? I'm not sure. I'm not sure he's being dishonest this time. But you, you, can, you can read up on it and make, uh, see what you make of it. But whatever the point is in, in this little parable, he is acting in a way that's advantageous for his future. And when the master hears about it, there's something in it that makes him smile at the very least, do you think? You can imagine him, verse 8. Is it verse 8? I think it's verse 8. Out for, out for dinner. Out for dinner with maybe one of his, his business colleagues. And, you know, he, he'll, he'll say to him, do you remember that? Do you remember that dodgy manager Rob I was telling you about? The guy who was ripping me off uh, and I was going to have to sack. You never guess what he's done. You never guess what he's gone and done on his way out the door. It is quite something. Um, and the master, verse 8, commended the dishonest manager because he'd acted shrewdly. Like, good move, good move. Now, the lesson's not steal from your employers. 
It's not, it's not, look, when you're doing your expenses next month, just bump them up a little bit. And it's all right. Jesus commends it. It's shrewd. No, that's, that's not it. Or if you're at school and maybe there's a tuck shop you help with, or it'll probably be a health bar with fruit these days. No sweets. It's not, look, uh, help out and then help yourself. That, that's, not, that's not the point. No, it's, it's verse 8, the end of verse 8. And Jesus says, For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. Jesus is saying, look, the, the people of the world think they know how life works and what the future holds, and from that stance, they act in a way that is really shrewd. And you know what I mean. You, you'll have friends who just seem to be really good at making money, buying property. They seem to move jobs at just the right time for their career. And Jesus is saying, look, Christians, on the other hand, that's, that's the people of the light. They really have been told how life works. And they do know what the future holds. The lights have been switched on, but from the way they act, you'd almost think they've got their eyes closed. And now, just, just to be clear on this, Jesus is not saying, look, just be like people of the world. He's not saying just live exactly the same way that they do. But he is saying, look, learn from the way Learn from the way they act wisely and shrewdly with temporary things and apply that. Even even apply that kind of thinking a little bit in light of eternal things. Now, he's, he's not saying, look, it's not necessarily wrong to buy property now or to invest your finances or to change your job, but... It would be saying, you do know when this life's over, bricks and mortar will not house you. You'll need something else to live in. And when this life's over, pounds and euros will not have a favorable exchange rate. You'll need a different currency. And when this life's over, you'll be faced with only one master who can employ you. And you really want him to like your CV. So with all that... What will being a good steward of our, of our money look like? Here's the first thing from what Jesus says, and it's this in verse 9. Use, use money generously. Show you'll be at home with God. Look, look at verse 9 with me. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Do you see the contrast Jesus is is making there. He's kind of got eternal dwellings. He says there is a place that really will last and money about which Jesus can say when it is gone. You know that squirty cream you get? Um, it's delightful stuff. When, when I was younger, it, it was a good day. It was a good day if we had squirty cream on the table. You, you put it on your jelly, on your pudding. It's great fun. It doesn't last. Leave it for more than about 45 seconds and it kind of dissolves away. Make the most of it. Squirt it out, shovel it down. Make the most of it while you can. And I guess Jesus, in a sense, is saying, look, money's money's like that. It's temporary. Make the most of it. But there is a way to use it that can have an eternal significance. Spend now. Enjoy the benefits forever. That's shrewd. 
And he talks about gaining friends who welcome you in. It's a, it's a parallel with the parable for, for the manager. And you wonder who's doing the welcoming. Well, it, it may be just people who've benefited from generosity. But in earlier parables in Luke, it's often God through Jesus who's doing the welcoming into eternal dwellings. And notice Jesus calls money worldly wealth. The, the word's more like unrighteous wealth, wealth that's opposed to God. What does he mean? Why does he use it, describe it in that kind of way? Well, I think it's this, and you know, in this world, money seems to have a strange effect. Very often, no matter how much we've got, uh, we want more. That famous billionaire years ago who, who was asked by the reporters how much money is enough, and he said, just a little bit more. We become greedy. And it's not really money. It's how our sinful hearts work. They love to repeat the phrase, it's mine. This is mine. And money often leads us to live in a way that's unrighteous. It opposes God. It's selfish and it's foolish because money won't last. And so when Jesus says, look, use worldly wealth to gain friends so you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings, this isn't, this isn't buying your way into heaven. That's a free gift that God gives. Only God can give to those who trust Jesus. But he is saying to disciples, that's who he's speaking to. He said, look, if you, if you really do trust me, if you've set the course for your life to follow me, it should be seen in the way you live. And so use money generously to show you, you'll be at home with God. Eternal dwellings are where you want to be welcomed. It, it would be terrible, wouldn't it, one day? It'd be terrible, actually, on that day to hear you're not welcome here. And why would you want to be? You've never lived as if you've wanted to be here. Now, I think with that in view, there are encouragements for us as a church family. God's blessed many of us, I guess most of us, with, with jobs and setting aside some to support the work of the church family. Many give generously. And doing that and sharing with the work of the church family here. Jesus says that shrewd giving, and he commends you for it. I don't know, I guess some of you have been thinking, if you've been here over the past few weeks, have been thinking about hospitality, how we use our homes. Maybe you've been thinking about time and rest, and maybe as a, a church family together, it's good for us just to stop and think what we want to do with our Sundays. Make it a different day for the Lord, for our families, our community. We budget our money to make our Sunday meals just a bit bigger, a bit better. Buy some squirty cream. Get some extra chocolate. You say with those of you who've got young children at home, or if you invite families around with young children, we say to them, this is the best day of the week. This is resurrection day. We stop our work to celebrate. We gather as a church family, and we, we spend a bit more. We're a bit more generous. We invite others around. Maybe it's church family. Maybe it's even neighbors. What impact might that have? And what a shrewd investment to be generous with something as temporary as your money, as temporary as your home, things that are like squirty cream to provide a day and a place to invest in people in the hope they'll enjoy eternity with Jesus. We live differently. We'll see it. Use money generously. Sure, you'll be at home with God. And here's the next thing: Look, use money responsibly. 
And show God you're trustworthy. In these verses, 10 and 12, living with the future in mind is in, is in view again. And you see what Jesus assumes about the future? Have a look at verse 11. He assumes someone's considering entrusting you with true riches. And verse 12, he assumes someone's considering giving you property of your own. You, you might be someone who's still trying to get on the property ladder. You're trying to buy the first house. Here's a view from the Bible. There's someone, the king of the universe, is considering giving you property of your own. The context suggests God's future kingdom where he'll share out true riches and responsibility. And we're told how he'll decide, verse 10, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with very much. And you, you, you think about those words and you, you realize Jesus' words, they, they're like pieces of a jigsaw puzzle. And as you put them together, they begin to make a, a picture of character and God and of life now and the life to come. And character, according to Jesus, look, character is character. What you really like shows itself in the little things as well as the big things. God, as Jesus describes him, is not wanting to keep things from us. No, he's generous. He's, he's designed life with the intention of sharing responsibility with his people, giving things to you for you to do. And life now, Jesus says, look, whatever you've got now, and whether, whether it's just five pounds in the, in the bank or, or whether you've got vast amounts in the bank, he says, whatever you've got, they're the little things. Whatever any of us have got in this life, they're the little things. But they've been given on trust. We're stewards, as we've been thinking about, we're stewards of the things God's given. And he's watching to see, he's looking at you, He's looking at you to see, are you trustworthy? His concern is that your character develops. It's not the only way, but how you handle money is one way we'll see character. And you might think, I'm only a teenager. I only get an allowance. The money I get from babysitting. Someone's telling me about, it, it's good rates around Cambridge for babysitting, but you might think, I'd... I only get a little amount. Um, I've only got a little bit of an allowance, a little bit from babysitting. And Jesus would say, hear this. Hear this if you're a teenager. He says it's not how much you've got. It's your character. Are you becoming trustworthy? That's what the Lord Jesus is asking. How do you use the resources God gives? Does your does your money all get spent on you? Is it all on clothes, music downloads, upgraded phones? These things that are in light of eternity, squirty cream. When was the last time you thought seriously about using the little things you have to serve Jesus Christ in some way? Offer to pay something towards a summer camp for a friend who can't afford it. Start saving two pounds a week in order to give a hundred pounds at the end of the year to some Christian cause. And if character's the issue, then it could also be true that week by week you are the biggest giver here. But the thing is, you hardly notice. And your large surplus is all spent on you. And, and God would look at you and he would look at the teenager and it's not your money he notices. It's your character. 
And I guess there might be some of us as well who we don't like the situation we're in. We're single income or low income. Finances are difficult. And you talk about unrighteous wealth and you feel the pressures of unrighteous wealth all too real. And you know at that point there's no push to give more at church. We're not saying as a church family, you've got to keep giving. It's not what we're saying at all. Some of us can give more, some can't give as much. And as a church family, we look to help and encourage one another. But even with that, it may still feel cold comfort to hear that the little you have has been entrusted to you by God. That it's helping you grow as a trustworthy disciple. But it doesn't feel like cold comfort. When you think about the life to come, and the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus saying to you, imagine the day in his new creation, the Lord Jesus saying to you, tapping you on the shoulder, saying, let's go for a walk, you and me. And let's speak together. And he speaks to you about some tough things in your life and what he says astounds you. And you start to see how in his grace, some of those things made you the person you are. And then he says, now, now, I've got some plans I want to tell you about. A project for you to head up. It's a little challenging, but you'll be great. And I'm sure you'll love it. And the Lord who's watched your character develop in the little things loves you and likes your CV for the life to come. That's quite a thought for some of you, isn't it? Use money responsibly. Show God you're trustworthy. And here's a last thing from the Lord Jesus. Choose to serve God. Show money who you love. You heard about the Scotsman who dropped 10 pence. Did you hear about the Scotsman who dropped 10 pence? He was down so fast to pick it up, it hit him on the back of the head. It's a, it's a moderate, it's a moderate joke, isn't it? It's not just the Scots, though, is it? It really isn't, no matter what the stereotypes say. For many, for many, it's money that makes them jump. And so these words from Jesus in verse 13, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate, one, hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. He speaks of money like it's a person. And he tells us, look, we have a choice to make. You cannot serve both God and money. If we start to serve money, it will capture our affections. We'll love it. We'll be devoted to it. And Jesus says it will eventually make you hate God. So if you're a disciple, that's the way you're going in life. If you're a disciple, you need to choose to serve God. And Jesus has been telling us about the kind of master God is. He's not mean. He's not anti-money. He's not against spending. But he wants his people to learn to use money, not be mastered by it. He wants us to spend in ways that are generous, responsible, and shrewd. In the Old Testament, there was an amount of money God's people had to set apart from all their income to give to the Lord, 10%. It was called the tithe. And I think for many, you maybe know Christians who do this. I've, I've known them and think this way as well myself. It, it can be a good starting point like that for giving be a practical help just to think in those kind of terms but interesting when you come across the new testament it, it doesn't say that so much 
in many ways, it ups the ante in some way. It says, look, think about the generosity Jesus has shown you. And pray to think generously like him within the means God's given you. That's the way the New Testament talks about it. Pray that you'll be generous like Jesus within the means you've got, not spending more than you have. If God through Jesus is your master, you'll enjoy using money well, but will hate it when it tries to capture our affections. And I imagine if you listen, you can almost hear money trying to capture affections all over Cambridge, outside the Apple store, by the front window of the jewels shop, in a neighbor's remodeled kitchen. You'll hear it whispering, just spend me on yourself. Think of all the things you could have. Jesus says, hate money. Whenever you hear that, choose to serve God. Show money who you love. Be deliberate in being generous and responsible. Do you remember this, this part of Luke? It, Jesus began speaking to those who were following him, but listening in, there was others. There's a, there's a group of religious people, and they're almost like a case study, verse 14. You see, we, we learn uh, the Pharisees who loved money. They heard all this and were sneering at Jesus, and he said to them, you're the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. And you hear that and realize what these religious men love about money. It's how it makes them look. It's what they use to, and Jesus uses this word, justify themselves. It kind of means to pronounce righteous. It's, it's my money is what makes me feel okay. And if you think that way, if it's money that gets you the life you need, it'll master you and you'll use it selfishly even when you're giving at times. It's a reminder, isn't it? It's possible to be religious and far away from God. It's possible to give money and not be generous. But if you know Jesus Christ and that he justifies you through his cross and that everything else is a generous gift from him to you for you to steward, then you'll have money and spend money, but you'll begin to pray, Lord, how can I serve you with this? How can I be responsible? How can I be generous? And how can I show I love and trust you with the finances you give me? I'm going to stop there. But here's a couple of questions. You, you might want to think about this. Let me pop up the next slide. Here's a couple of questions. If they're helpful at all, they're just, they're not, very insightful, but we'll take a moment just to be quiet before Rachel comes um, to lead us on, but you can jot these down. They might be questions just to ask yourself or to talk through with friends or with family as we think about being good stewards uh, with what God gives us. Let's have a moment and then Rachel will lead us.